You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, well, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this, then welcome home. We're glad you're here. On today's show, I'm going to be sitting down and having an extended conversation with author Carl Forehand about his new book, Out Into the Desert. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Amazon, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you like the show, make sure to share, subscribe, and if you're feeling particularly generous, drop a review over on Apple Podcasts, too. It helps get the word out to new listeners. So this one goes out to the he's, the she's, the they's, the v's, and everyone in between, because, hey, we all love you. And in this show, this hour, what I'm going to do is move us along very quickly, very, very quickly. Because we've got lots to chat about with Carl this hour. So, without further ado, I'm going to give you the choicest cuts of Christian nuts, right? It's kind of like the, you know, Reese's Pieces of Christian feces. That's right. It's the Christian crazy of the week. And just as crazy as you'd expect. If loving the Lord is wrong... I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Starting off the top, just a reminder that, hey, people out there in America, guess what? Christians are being persecuted. I know. It's surprising. White male Christians are being persecuted. Why? Why? Oh, why could that be happening? I'm not sure, but you know what? Oh, one of our OG grifters, Kenneth Copeland's got an idea, and it somehow has to do with the amount of airplanes that you own. So, you know, a real man of the people, Kenneth Copeland's talking about, what does it look like to have persecution in America today? Nobody... Cared. Nobody, they could have cared less when this ministry bought its first airplane. 
It was just a little Cessna Skylane, a little four-seat Skylane, and it was too little when we got it. But then when we wound up with a Citation 10 and a Gulfstream, then they got mad. Why you got a fleet? Yes, I do. I don't own it. The ministry owns it. Sweet Jesus, are we already talking about dicks, penises, and phalluses already? Like, in, in, in this episode? Absolutely we are. Nobody cared when we had a tiny little Cessna. But they cared when it got bigger and better. And also because you run a 501c3 nonprofit ministry that you also remind us is that, oh, the ministry's the one that owns all of these things. People are mad about what we own, but don't be mad at me. Be mad at ministry. There's a problem going on. Ministry. Blame ministry. <laughs> what the hell is this? I actually, actually, this would be great advice for the Southern Baptist Convention uh, because they've recently had a report that's come out about how they tamped down, did not listen to sexual abuse within the denomination. And Kenneth gives us a clear, clear, crystal clear answer here. It's not me. It's the ministry that did all the abuse, all the fucking, and all the assaults. So, hmm, hmm. Yeah, we're out the gun. We are distilling the snark down moment by moment. Because I've got to give you the best before we get our conversations with Carl. So let me give you one more, one more degenerate teat to taste from in the world of pastoring and griftering and, I don't know, just lying and taking advantage of people and taking their money in the name of Jesus. You know, that kind of a thing, that kind of a thing that we roast week after week. <laughs> well, if you're waiting for that, if you're waiting for that, let me give you here. Kent Christmas. Yes, Christmas comes twice a year, but don't tell his wife. Years ago, there was a certain car I wanted so bad, did not have the money. And I went out of my garage and I visualized where that car was going to sit. And I would come out there and I said, Lord, I thank you for this car. One day I walked out in my garage and I didn't have to by faith say, Lord, I thank you for this car. I opened the door and got in it because I believed that I had it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, hallelujah. How about how the fuck you, Kent Christmas? Seriously, this is the way that you're preaching the way that God works. <laughs> I, I used to stand alone in my garage and I would just pray for a really nice car and God gave it. There were starving children everywhere, but I needed a Chevy Malibu, damn it. I needed one. 
So at what point do we like descend into like coveting for things when we're just like, you know, naming it and claiming it in the name of Jesus because, you know, I've got a house that's got a four car garage and there's not four cars in it. Lord, where are you? Lord, I'm suffering. Lord. Oh, Lord. So, Lord, lead us to a true man of the people, one crying out in the wilderness, if the wilderness was Tennessee, and we were actually forced to listen to bigoted preacher Greg Locke say Greg Locke kind of things. So, yeah, here's your last bit of Christian crazy, because crazy doesn't get better than Greg Locke to the place right now. If you vote Democrat, I don't even want you around this church. You can get out. You can get out, you demon. You can get out, you baby butchering election thief. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. You get pissed off as you want to. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. They are God-denying demons that butcher babies and hate this nation. One has to wonder, like, does he bring the same intensity, like, when he's a pastor to, like, weddings and funerals? Like, oh, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today about John and Marcy because we want to make sure they're not demon-loving. Yeah, that kind of a thing. Or, you know, oh, we're, we're gathered here today to remember the memory of dear Jose. And Jose's dead because of demon. Sorry. That was a bunch of craziness. And you got a lot of craziness because guess what? We're going to descend into something interesting, contemplative, and deep. So here we go right now. Today, I have the honor of sitting down with Carl Forehand. Carl is a bivocational pastor for like the past 20 years has training in spiritual leadership, coaching, plant-based nutrition, and spiritual direction. He lives in Missouri with his wife, Laura, and his dog, Winston. He also has three grown children and two grandchildren. I've seen pictures of them. They're adorable. Uh, <laughs> Carl is also the author of the books like The Tea Shop, The Hotel, Apparent Faith, and Being. And soon, coming up in August, he is releasing his new book, Out Into the Desert, that he co-wrote with his wife, Laura. Um, he's also organize, he's the organizer of the Leaning In Conference. So we've got a, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, Carl. But uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show, Carl. That's why I do lots of things. So if if several of them aren't good, maybe something good will come out. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Now, now one thing uh, for for those that do know you on social media, you had a big thing happen this year. <laughs> In January, you had a stroke. And so I've been watching some of your recovery. So t tell us about how, how, how are you now? How is the process? Give us an update. Yeah, it kind of came on unexpectedly. I've, I've been pretty healthy. I did some things to change my health when I was 48 or 50 and been pretty healthy for a while. I started working on an assembly line at the beginning of last year and just started noticing some symptoms and and all of a sudden I was in a, a stroke cycle and um, finally got to the emergency room. I, when I got there, I was still walking and um, my arm worked and everything. But within a few hours uh, after that, just my left side uh, completely didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
trauma, you know, traumatizing experience, life changing. I, I don't recommend it at all. <laughs> you don't recommend, <laughs> but, but yeah, how are you doing? How, how's been, how's the process been since then? Or progress? Yes, we, I went almost straight from the hospital to acute rehab where they taught me how to dress and uh, take a shower, put my shoes on and, and all those kind of things. And they also got me up walking uh, right away. So just a few days in the hospital and straight to that acute rehab for a couple of weeks. And then we came home, I had a weekend off and I went to Kansas City where I lived during the week with my daughter and my wife for a while. And then she kind of came back to work, but they've been working on me for 10 weeks, like five hours a day, five days a week. And it's real important to get on it. So I guess where I am now is I passed my driving test on Monday. So I got my driving privileges back and Dude. I, I'm really proud of my, you know, my leg walking and things like that is way better. Um, my hand is, is coming back you know, and starting to open up. Um, but it's, it's, it's uh, kind of a hard process to explain because it's kind of two steps forward, one step back. And it's, you know, what progress did I make in this whole week, mm -hmm. you know, and it's going to be just a little bit, but we are making progress and that's, um, so I'm back home doing therapy at home now and, and looking to get employed, I hope, <laughs> before too long, because we've been out of income for a long time, mm -hmm. way too long, so. No, but this, but I, but I also think it, it seems like just even watching you go through the process on social media and just how positive that you have been, uh, I, I just want to say it's been inspirational to watch that because I can imagine also on the flip side how frustrating it can be to yeah, be able to I think we real yeah, we realized in the emergency room, Laura and I kind of looked at each other and uh, just took a deep breath together and said, um, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And um, that was overwhelming to say that because we had no idea what was ahead of us or how hard it was going to be. But I think the other thing we gave ourselves permission to do was to feel mm -hmm. as we went through it. And at times to say, you know what, I'm sad. I'm really sad. Mm -hmm. um, and those, those moments were healing. And then, you know, halfway through, um, get really frustrated, you yell at each other you know, you have those moments too. So um, I I can't explain why we were so determined, but we were, and uh, it's, it's paid off. So Yes. And, and so I'm not trying to be uh, jokey or, or pithy with this, but much of the book that we're going to be talking today out in the desert, a good part of it is about you deconstructing um, and, and walking mm -hmm. through that process. So and again, I'm not trying to make light of the situation, which, which has been more difficult, uh, re rehabbing after a stroke or deconstructing in your faith? Mm. Yeah, and there's definitely parts of deconstruction, parts of our experiences in church uh, that were very, very traumatic. Mm -hmm. I think the difference in this is that it's, it, it's, it's an extensive amount of time and it's still continuing, mm -hmm. you know, to, to work through it. But I think to me, trauma comes in all kinds of different shapes and sizes, mm -hmm. and you can't get out of life 
without it and religion certainly has a fair amount of it mm-hmm. um life in general does too and our families of origin can can traumatize us um but i think it's a, i think it's the same uh solution religion kind of teaches us to bypass things like that sometimes our families do too mm-hmm. um but there's really only one way to do it and that's to feel it and to to experience it um to be present with it and um uh, then begin to heal you know begin to shift those things in in us that have been traumatized and i feel like yeah um, i feel i feel like that too it feels like reading through your book one thing i will say is i i thoroughly enjoyed reading through your book out into the desert and it kind of gave me from being a person that was like also in, in ministry for, for 20 years, it gave me, and especially uh, with you being able to write this in the way that you did with your wife, kind of giving two sides mm-hmm. to the same coin about, you know, the experiences mm-hmm. that you all went mm-hmm. through. I just kept like nudging my wife being like, wait, wait, let me read this to you. You connect <laughs> with that? And she'd be like, Oh yes. And it yeah. was, for me, it was very affirming and, and, and kind of a healing process to walk through because in many ways, your story is different than mine, but in other ways, it's exactly the same, you know, about walking through those things. And, and I just kept, as I was reading it, knowing you going through all the health issues of this year, it, it really just, I guess what it spoke to me was that you needed to walk through a lot of these things like you did throughout the book to where, like you had said, you were learning to, to feel. You're learning to heal mm-hmm. all of these kind of things. And, and it just, it, 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 it struck me as, as interesting going like, oh, like he had the tools to be able to walk through this current storm that you're in. Because I can't mm-hmm. imagine going through something like that when, when you're in the height of ministry, when we're in the height of our own kind of ministry pageantry and bakery kind of stuff. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I can see where that would be something that would just tear, tear a hole into you. Um, but, but yes, being able to kind of read through this book and then also like watch you and, and how you've been so positive in this progress walking through it. Mm-hmm. I was going like, Oh, Oh, it just made it a lot more full for me. Um, yeah. So we had, you know, 20 years of ministry. The, the big thing that pastors say is, you know, who can I tell? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, not only is there trauma in church, but we're being led by someone who's probably uh, wounded him, him or herself. And, they're trying to lead and and encountering more trauma and that that was certainly where i was after 20 years of ministry and in my uh, a couple of books back in the being book i talked about that experience where all of that stuff that i'd stuffed down um it's it's like it came up all at once someone described it as trying to hold a beach ball underwater you know and and finally everything just came up and all that shadow material or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. came out all at once. And I, I literally thought my life was over. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that, that bad. <clears throat> and uh, was able to connect through some Benedictine sisters um, and learn a process called focusing along with a, another immersive experience we went through called breakthrough where we learned you know, to, to encounter the shame, uh, encounter that shadow, feel what we feel, um, be present with it. And we were, so we were beginning 
uh, to heal those those all those tools helped um, when we got to the stroke mm -hmm. because we had already started healing and now here's a traumatic life experience uh, but i will say you know without qu question i didn't get any of those tools from the church mm -hmm. you know and, and people people give me a hard time because they say i'm, I'm a little too hard on the church but i uh, my my thing is just like with the book, the Out in the Desert book, you know, Laura and I tried just to go home and um, we didn't go, we stopped going to church. We tried to just sit at home and mind our own business, right? I have a joke about that, but um, the, the overwhelming feeling is we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to get it out in the open um, because Eugene Jenlin said, what is unfelt stays the same. Uh, as long as we're gonna just press it down, it's it's gonna stay the same. And it's gonna break out and react in, in bad ways when we least expect it. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful, that's one of the reasons I write is because it helps me uncover what I think, um, but it's also part of my healing. Mm -hmm. To, to get that stuff out. Oh, I appreciate your the way you write is you write very just honestly and, and authentically mm -hmm. about your experiences. And, and in a certain way, I guess you could say the book feels like it's it's two different halves as well, too, meaning that it's, mm -hmm. it kind of feels like you walking through the process of, of you being a pastor and also kind of deconstructing and looking through your faith and all of the things that were weird and bad about being a part of organized religion. Mm -hmm. And then the second yeah. half kind of being about what, what you've learned as, as you've walked away um, in that. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll ask you this question, because I think this is something that, okay. that people oftentimes are afraid of leaving church. It may, you know, it may be because of various reasons, but sometimes they are just they're afraid for leaving. So from you, Carl, like, tell us, can, can you survive outside of religion? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's the second half of the book is, is trying to talk a little bit about how do you survive mm -hmm. outside? Because we, we wanted to analyze, first of all, and say, is it viable? You know, is, and, and we ended up talking about our own ministry. Mm -hmm. But I would say, yeah, it is. I mean, event, originally we went to Brian Zahn's church for a couple of years, and, and we'd just get in fights on the way home because that's weird we're conflicted, you know, I was worried about what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do with this gift I have or whatever? <laughs> and uh, Laura would just didn't even want to go at all. So we get to fight on the way home. We finally, uh, we interviewed Cindy Wong Brandt uh, from Taiwan and she challenged us to take a year off. Mm. And she said, uh, if you can't take a year off, then you, you should probably ask yourself why you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is it guilt or shame? Is it, uh, are you addicted to this thing? Is it a codependency? Why, why can't you take a year off? And so we decided, we went, at, first we went across the street to the Methodist church for a little while, and there was nothing wrong with either one of those churches. But um, we finally just, went out and sat on the porch on Sunday morning and uh, listened to each other a little bit. <laughs> and uh, we found out we didn't miss it at all. Mm -hmm. And especially over time, you know, 
any guilt or shame or whatever we had went away and we just learned to be with each other. The biggest question people ask is what about community? Mm -hmm. well, you know, that's the biggest excuse. First of all, I would say this, and when I say these things on Facebook and so on, I say these general statements and people um, always assume their, their church is different. Yes, that's um, very true. That's a very good right, point. Right, right. Um, I forgot what I was going to oh, say. Sorry. <laughs> well, you, you were talking about community. and Yeah, so community. So people say, well, I need community. First of all, uh, I'd, I'd invite you to take a few Sundays off and step back and, and evaluate whether you're, what you do at church is real community. Mm -hmm whether that's really authentic community or is it, is it just something you enjoy doing because it feels good. Mm -hmm. It's designed to feel good and it does feel good to go, but is it real community? You know, do you really uh, have in-depth time? Can you share your soul with people? Can you, do you have time to do that? Does the organization have time for that? Um, but second of all, in, in the interest of chasing community, are you leaving your own community to go to the, the false community? Um, you leave your own neighborhood. You know, we're both introverts and we still struggle with meeting our neighbors. Um, but we noticed when I go to work, I have, I have some close ties there. Uh, there are people in my home community that I know and that, that I interact with. I have family that I interact with. And I have, I have online community that just the fact that we've sat and listened to each other online brought us really, really close. Jason Elam is one of those. We, we actually took a trip to visit them uh, last summer because we'd grown so close to them just from talking on podcasts about our experience as pastors. Um, I, I would say communities is, is not that hard to find if you're intentional about doing it. And um, which, what we get in church generally is, is not authentic community anyway. Yeah, I, I found kind of being able to, once you walk away from those, those things, you're able to, and, and again, you speak a lot about this in the book, too, about just learning about contemplation and being able to kind of have a different mindset about these things. And I think that, like, in the past, because it was, it was easy to have community, because you knew when community showed up. Uh, community was, it's programmed. I can go have community, then I can leave and go home. It's very efficient. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think that my wife and I feared that, too, stepping outside of it, but you kind of end up going into this place where you have to be very open-handed and it's kind of like just discovering what community is around me, you know, what is out mm -hmm. there. And so it becomes, yeah, it becomes more of a discovery process than it does about necessarily needing to like hone in or be in a certain place. And it's, mm -hmm. it could be scary, but it's also, sure. I, but I feel like, again, like from what I'm hearing you say this, I've experienced similar to where you end up finding deep relationships with folks whether it be in online groups or other places where, wow, like it, this, this feels more like community. This feels more like relationship. This feels closer mm -hmm. to like family um, yeah. than it did where you're at church and have to fit into a certain mold to fit in. Mm -hmm. I had, there was a guy that 
brought me back from therapy was two hours away and the guy he was for some reason he's the only guy I could find to bring me back to my book signing for the hotel and um, we were both vegans you know and he I'd met him earlier in life and I I think about people like him a lot that I that I left behind you know being so busy with church I think I missed a lot of community with my family by being a pastor for 20 years. You know, I have four brothers and sisters that I don't know as well as I wish I did because we were we were so busy, so many nights and so many of our weekends. Um, so, yeah, I think in being, I talked about being with my dog, being with nature, all of those things. And I don't... I, I hope people don't discount those kind of things mm-hmm. and say, you know, well, that's um, not like a church friend. Well, I, I don't know. The over 20 years, the experience people talked about most about worship was was in nature mm-hmm. and that deep communion they had with nature. And I've it's just only gotten better since I'm not so engaged in in quote unquote church or religion. Well, it's it's interesting too when you, like you in talking about things that are less tangible that that we can be able to find find God's we can we can experience God in and yeah I think for me yes the outdoors nature has always just been a huge one for me and it's in but again I feel like that when you're out in nature you, you kind of have to force yourself to slow down you know to 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 be with that that place to really to really mm-hmm. be able to appreciate it or understand it I have. Yeah, it is. It is interesting about things because I have I have a beehive at my house as well too, and so mm. even feeling a kinship and tending to these bees and, and things of that nature, I'm just I'm able just to see the beauty of of creation and how all this intricate stuff fits together, and and I don't do it yeah. because of what it's going to necessarily give me. I just do it because I enjoy cultivating things in my garden and and things of that nature and. And you're right. I, I think it is important for us to be able to learn to be able to see and experience God outside of the box um, with the steeple on top. Now, I, I want you, this, this, this is something that I, I really, I, I liked your quote here in, in your book. And you'd said this, and I, was, I wanted you to unpack it a bit because I feel like it's very, very true. You'd said the American church is an organization and it is almost impossible not to be deeply acquainted with fear and control when doing her business. Yeah, I think I think that's just especially in the evangelical church. That's the that's the primary message. That's what we began with. Um, was that you know if I can get you to feel some kind of fear, I don't think we ever did that intentionally or consciously, mm-hmm. but we began that message and that theology with um, what you should be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we we have to control it. And it's part of it's because it's an organization. And when something becomes an organization, the organization's needs come first. And it's about survival of the organization. Um, I I tried to say several times in the book, uh, you know, I don't think pastors start out with bad intentions. I don't think churches intend to harm people Mm -hmm. or do things wrong. But once you get over 10 people or so, it's an organization. And you have to run the organization. You have to recruit members. Uh, you have to keep them happy. 
or try to, <laughs> you know, maintain the building and pay the salaries. And that always comes first mm -hmm. over the individual. We, we say some churches here even call themselves caring church or something like that. And we all want, want to help people. We want to um, minister their needs, but the, the organization always comes first. Mm -hmm. And um, part of that is fear that it's going to fail, fear that we're not going to do our mission. Uh, so we, we've always tried to control it since probably forever. You know, I, I know the first Pope was real worried about that. So as, at least as long as that, that far back, fear and control has just been a major mm -hmm. part of the messaging. You're, you're, you're absolutely right um, about that and, 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 and how that has it's weird that it's somehow almost become a practice. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's, and I guess we've done that like insidiously within, within theology and, and you're right. Like I can think of, I got, I got very good at being able to make people feel something and do all of this. And I didn't think I was necessarily manipulating people though. Cause I'd learned mm -hmm. that from somebody else who said that mm -hmm. was good. And when you would do this, you would get praised because we have certain metrics that we want to mm -hmm. try to be able to say, Oh, well, God is in it because of, numbers, money, all this other kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So, mm -hmm. so tell me, Mr. Uh, desert Dweller, as, as you journeyed <laughs> into the desert too, how have your metrics for like, you know, what you say is good or successful? How, how has that changed? You know, I think it's what happens. Um, I don't know if you know a lady named Elena Lewandowski. Mm -hmm. um, she's from Canada. She's a singer. <clears throat> Last time we had her speak on Leaning Forward, uh, she was playing some music, but before she did the music, she talked about two words for about a half hour. She's a mystic, and, and that's kind of how they think, you know. Um, when, I, when I went to Taiwan and had the adventure that I wrote about in the tea shop, mm -hmm. I met this guy who was, he was probably a Buddhist. It, it didn't really come up. He was showing me his yogi practices and stuff, and uh, we're kind of delighting in each other. And he taught me about um, presence and authenticity mm -hmm. and just in a real general way. And, and when I reflected on that and wrote the book about six months later, I, I just was overwhelmed by the fact that he was present and that he was real. Mm -hmm. and, and so much of, you know, I thought back to if I was still an evangelical, I would have been trying to convert him <laughs> or <laughs> or you know i've been a lot more anxious that you know something was going to get on me or corrupt me or whatever but but through that meeting that little hour and a half meeting with him when he served his tea he he started teaching me about presence and authenticity and i think um those words um that emerge is then you know later i sit down and wrote the being book and it's called the subtitle is a journey towards presence and authenticity mm -hmm. so those words come up again then when i do shadow work um, through various teachers and experiences with shadow work uh, the word compassion mm. comes out that we have to have compassion for our inner self 
compassion for our critic and compassion for others. So it's to, to me, it's those words that emerge like presence, um, authenticity, um, the true self, your inner self. Um, it's the words that emerge. Those are the metrics. So it's um, not accomplishing something, mm -hmm. uh, not that I need to have meditation every day, um, you know, not that I need to acquire something, but it's um, it's more like a deeper understanding. Uh, am I growing deeper in my understanding of the things that really matter? And, and are those, see, being, people say, well, why'd you, would you write a book called Being? What is being? And I said, first of all, understand it's a being and becoming, yeah. right? We're not human doings anymore. We don't have to accomplish something but it's about being in the present, being in the now and, and becoming, some people would say becoming what you already were mm -hmm. or what you've always been. Mm -hmm. And so those, those are the kind of metrics, if that makes any sense. At no, all. it does. And, 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 and you talk a little bit about, and, and I, I feel like this may fit into some of that process that, that you're talking about, you went through in the book, you, you refer how you, uh, your process of, of listening has changed moving from like mm -hmm. cerebral listening to contemplative listening. Can you, can you speak a little mm -hmm. to that too? Cause I found that really interesting. Yeah. I mentioned, I mentioned earlier the Benedictine sisters. Mm -hmm. I went through a spiritual direction class and if people don't know what a spiritual director is, it's, it's not a Christian counselor. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing. Right. Uh, and it's not a therapist, but a spiritual director is someone that practices uh, what they call evocative listening mm. that they would i don't know if they would they would call it the spirit whatever but they listen um on a deeper level so they would say um you know i'd say well laura's doing all this stuff to me and i'm mad and blah blah blah, blah. and they would say wait a minute what's what's your part in that mm. What, and they'd say, what are you feeling? Mm. And where do you feel it? And I'd say, well, uh, part of me feels angry mm. and I feel it in my heart. And they would say, so a part of you feels angry. And uh, then you just, you, know, you start weeping mm. and you know that you're kind of in touch with something that's trying to tell you something. And they know that too, but they don't try to tell you they just listen, mm -hmm. and more often than not, they're just going, mm. <laughs> and kind of, kind of groaning with you. You know, um, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> several of my friends have have learned that process. We would call it focusing, mm -hmm. um, but just just a deeper uh, listening to try to hear maybe what people aren't saying. Yeah. You know. Um, and just to feel that we've done that with people across the country. They met and one of them was in Australia and literally uh, get to the point where when, when someone's there and they're expressing that you literally feel what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a deep uh, spiritual kind of process, I guess, um, that allows them to, to hear what their body's trying to tell them mm -hmm. about that that part of them that's wounded, 
and by acknowledging that it allows it to shift so uh, I still have the same struggles that every husband has with his wife <laughs> that she's probably the one I don't listen to as well as I should and um, you know I still st struggle with that but I think I'm getting better mm. hopefully which I'm ending the interview right now that's the only thing that if we've learned <laughs> <laughs> no I I am with you I am with you I think being I've been I've been in so many I think I was so ingrained in like small groups and other situations growing up in and around church and then being in ministry. I feel like listening, it was just about like almost trying to figure out like when is my moment to say something next or to mm -hmm. add to that as opposed to being able to, like you're saying, hear what people are saying, what are they not saying? But I feel like it connects us deeper and it, it it's it's something that's spiritual, but I feel like it's almost like intimately human as well. And and it, it and, and it's it's kind of a beautiful process to be able to engage in. When you do uh, contemplative prayer groups, um, we did one of those across the street. You literally have to tell Christians, don't say anything, <laughs> don't try to fix people, and and don't make excuses. You know because. Um, when someone expresses something deep like that, it makes us uncomfortable and we want the uncomfortableness to go away. But that's the part that we need to be with. Mm -hmm. That's the part we need to be present with. Um, and so either just repeat what they said or just listen mm -hmm. and don't say anything. And it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, just because it makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean that's not good, you know. So anyway. No, you're right. And, and, and oftentimes when you're listening in those situations, I feel like the church teaches us, like, we have to have, find a spiritual meaning in something. Or we have to somehow be able mm -hmm. to put a little bow on the end of it to make it all mm -hmm. nice and neat. And, and it's a very different process mm -hmm. to just listen and just allow yeah. that space to be what that space is meant to be. Because, in, because the things we say by default are, are stupid things. <laughs> They really are. They're yeah. un, they're on they're usually unhelpful. They're just bypassing. They're not they're not the things that are gonna bring healing. You're right. So. Yeah, like God has a plan. Right. Yeah. Right. That's one I've loved <laughs> and absolutely hated that people have given me over the years. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That yeah. fixed my pain. Yeah, yes. that didn't help at all. <laughs> <laughs> so Carl, in in all that you have, have been through, especially the journey through deconstruction and being able to to make your way into the desert. Where do you find hope these days? What are things that are giving you hope? I think um, it's it's something like a a satisfaction, mm -hmm. um, a knowing that. I just don't need to accomplish anything, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't mean it's, you know, back to the word being, it's not that, that I'm going to set and do nothing all the time. It's a being and becoming, mm. um, but that I can go inside and, and what I, what I find when I get there, that deep connection is enough and it, it's, it's not about accomplishing things. Uh, you know, I, my wife might disagree with you because 
when I when I finish writing something and then it gets published and then I'm on to the next thing right away and and so there is kind of that part of me that's that's active and um yeah I think the stroke has kind of done something to me it's slowed slowed me down and kind of made me appreciate things but other also I think in my deconstruction I gave myself permission to deconstruct all the way so uh, I think we got down to the point where with the things that are left are the genuine things. And, and my hope comes there. I think when the, when you find that deep connection with the divine, you know, whatever you want to call that, mm-hmm. when, when you go inside and find that, find that, that pure love that when you have grandkids, you'll also experience that, but uh, you find that genuine love and, for me, that's enough. You know, once once you experience the the pure, it's it's like I, I don't hope for anything else to happen. Mm-hmm. And you know, if the kingdom of God is within us, then then we can live out that heavenly reality now. Uh, just being, there's that word again. Just mm-hmm. being present, being authentic. And and it it's like I don't need anything else. I don't long for anything else or uh, for some future time. Um, that and, and you know it even helps um, with people, deep connections with people, uh, connections with nature, and, and all of that's involved in that just that deep connection. And so it's it's like. Um, I used to say to one of my friends, uh, what's your hope? And he would say, I don't, I don't need hope. Mm. I know, you know, mm. and that's, that's kind of what it's become for me. Um, there are things in my life that I still want to develop and work on and progress towards and accomplish. Uh, but what do I, what do I need? What do I long for? I, I think I got it already. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I hope it, I hope it, it it deepens and matures um but and and maybe i'll be wrong maybe in 20 years i'll have to deconstruct again who knows but (laughs) (laughs) for now that's kind of where i'm at well in uh my last question about the book um is you throughout the book you and laura mentioned the importance of asking good questions now what are some things or what are some of those good questions that you have right now in life? What are some of those challenging questions you have where you're at? So questions I ask myself or asking to someone else or. Yeah. I mean, in life, as you're processing about on being and, and walking out this whole new way in the desert. Yeah. What are, what are those questions that are driving you forward? I, th- I think the questions we tend to ask ourselves is, is, you know, yeah, that's how we've always done it. Yeah, that's how I've always responded to things. But, but is that the best? Is that mm. is that really authentic? You know, is that really me? Is that really what I want for my life, or am I just bypassing um, something that's difficult? So I, I would say, just um, in the deep introspective work, it kind of becomes. You know the the big question is, what well, you know? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and when you, you kind of get that, then you say, um, you don't have to bypass over things, make excuses, um, just say, you know, who am I and what, what do I really want? Um, not what did somebody else tell me I have to have. Mm. Mm. Now, now, before I let you go, I want you to talk uh, a, a little bit more. You have, you have an, well, you have a conference that is coming up in June and in August called Leaning Forward. Tell us all about that, Carl. Tell us about Leaning Forward. Okay. Yeah, I think in, in 2020, we did uh, a nomad conference. So in conjunction with some other people, uh, about eight or 10 of us got together and did that. And then, but I kind of wanted to do my own thing or the desert sanctuary thing and do a conference focused on you know, the idea of uh, when I was a kid, I used to discover things and the way I discovered them was kind of going like, what's that over there? And then once I got over there where that thing was, then I'd, I'd look off in the distance and see something else. Um, and that's how I discovered things. Adventures can be planned, but you you get to those adventures, you get to those discoveries by leaning forward. So that's what we mm-hmm. called the conference. Last year, we had a lot of speakers and recorded sessions and then did a Zoom session and came together and discussed things. And it was, we had a great time. I scheduled it again for this year and then I had the stroke. So it kind of got delayed. We split it up into two smaller conferences, about five or six speakers each. Mm-hmm. And they're all going to talk about that. What's the future of religion? What, what are we going to do in the future? And also just their individual take, like Keith Giles and Kyle Butler, uh, Dr. Paul Fitzgerald, some of those guys, that just their take on how do we move forward. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some pastors, uh, and this is not to disparage them at all, but there's some people that, some prophets, people that kind of drew us out here in the desert with their books and their teaching, mm-hmm. but they still have a church, a typical church, mm-hmm. and they're in that. Uh, we just wanted to speak to the people that are nomads or questioning their faith or, or longtime residents out here in the desert, <laughs> you know, and, and say, let's lean forward a little bit and see what's next. Okay. So it's kind of that. So June 12th, we'll do that. And then in August, the other half of the speakers will go and we're working on, hopefully it'll come together to do a choir author leaning forward, maybe later in the year. Awesome. So if people are interested in leaning forward, what is the best way for them to be able to find out more info and sign up? There is an event. I believe it's on my page or on the Desert Sanctuary page called Leaning Forward 2022, mm-hmm. something like that. And you can just sign up there. It's all free. We What we did last time was we recorded all the sessions and offered them for about $10. But if you come the day of, you can join in the Zoom and ask questions and give away books there and so on. So it's going to be fun. So wait, you're saying this thing is free? You're giving things away? This doesn't sound very Christian to me. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not going to be very profitable. No, No, but I love it. I love love the idea of just of how we are. Like we have wisdom and we hand wisdom to others as well too. And and that Mm -hmm. also, even that act of being able to share wisdom together is an act of community. You know, mm-hmm. it's how we grow together in that. I love that. 
And, and, and again, the book we've been talking about today, Out Into the Desert by Carl and Laura Forehand. Carl, when, when do we look for this book? August 15th. August 15th. Okay, and that yeah. Amazon everywhere else, you just look for yeah. Into the Desert, yeah. Carl Forehand with a K. Yeah, <laughs> everywhere you get books. Now, now, was, last, now, lastly, Carl, if people want to stalk you, if they want to, to, to get into your world of uh, online things and, and everywhere, what, what's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, Carl, like you said, Carl with a K and forehand, F-O-R-E-H-A-N-D, like in tennis, um, dot com is kind of points to everything. We have our Desert Sanctuary Facebook, my blog on Patheos, um, the you know, all that stuff, the YouTube channel, all of it. So um, they can also get autographed books on the webpage if they go there. I think if it's still working, I'm not the best. I'm not the best at web pages, but. Well, excellent. Yeah. And I'll, I'll include all this in the show notes too. We'll have, we'll have okay. links to everything okay. too. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the book coming out, Carl. I'm excited too about leaning forward. Um, I, I think this sounds like I, I just appreciate the work you're doing, uh, my you. friend. And I would just continue to encourage you to keep leaning forward in what you're doing because because your voice matters, and and I think your voice is there to be able to help people. And I think that there's a lot of truth in there that people need to hear. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Much thanks to Carl. And again, I do love his new book. All of that information, all of those links will be in the show notes. What I wanted to do is, as we've kind of traveled with Carl this hour, I wanted to leave you with a little bit of an Irish blessing for those who travel. We may have said this on the before the show before, but, you know, this is always a good way to end our time together. So here's an Irish blessing for those who travel. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of their hand. May God grant you always a sunbeam to warm you, a moonbeam to charm you, a sheltering angel so nothing can harm you. May the saints protect you and bless you today. And may troubles ignore you each step of the way. God be with you on your road every way you go. Well, that's all I've got this hour. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Sarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts to help us get the word out to new listeners. And guess what? As we end this broadcast, you can catch this show and every other show on podcast at www.snarkyfeet.com or wherever else you choose to listen to your podcasts. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the show week after week. I appreciate you all. And if you want to reach out to me directly, hit me up at Stuart at snarkyfaith.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T. It's snarkyfaith.com. And as I do every week, I release you into this wild, wide world, and I send you out with the holiest amounts of grace and peace and snark. 
And as we've heard from Carl this hour, may you journey into the wilderness, into the desert, and may you find life there. May you flourish as you walk outside of the lines of religion and Christianity. Because guess what? God's out there! You just got to go and find them. That's all I've got this hour. And I'm just going to leave you with this. Peace be with you. And may you carry peace into all the areas that you inhabit this week. I'll catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. Hey there, snarky listeners. Hanging around after the show asking for little bits of extras. Because I'm here. I'm here to give you what you want. You had a little taste of the Christian crazy earlier in the hour. But you've not had a taste of the Christian cringe of the week. The worst of the worst. And that's where I give you here. The Christian cringe of the week. Brought to you by congressional nominee Leon Benjamin. Because Leon... Leon's a little worried about something. He's got some reservations about real things in real life that he's really worried about. And I'll leave you with his drivel. Enjoy. Christian Queen. No, God, please, no, no. AI wants to replace the Holy Ghost. It's actually getting us ready for that false trinity where it's the what? the beast, the false prophet, and the image of the beast. So that's what AI is going to turn into, the image of the beast that, mm. the, that the false prophet causes the people to bow down to and to worship for those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Wow. So it's coming well, back upon us. It- Oh, no. The gig is up. He has finally outed us. Run computers. Flee AI. Duck for cover, you faxes and calculators. We have been exposed. The apocalypse is over. We've been defeated. Skynet was only a myth. Hashtag sad. <laughs>